Father, we love you, Lord. We praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you are our rock. You are our strength. You are our comforter. You are our healer. You are our provider, our savior, our king. You are our God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you sustain us through life, that we can look to you and we can cry out to you and go boldly to the throne of grace because of Christ, because the temple veil has been torn in two, we can run to you, Lord, and you hear our cry. And Jesus held those little children in his arms, said, let the little children come to me, and he blessed them. And that's, that's your heart, Father, the heart of tenderness and compassion towards your children. So we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you this morning. We just pray that you'd bring comfort, that you'd bring peace, that you'd bring hope, bring joy to my mom, my, my family, my cousins, my uncles, my grandma, um, please, Lord, bless them all and bring comfort. May they know you. May they know Christ. May they, they know the gospel, Lord. And um, just be with me right now as we uh, get into your word a little bit and seek your face. Pray that Christ would be glorified, that you would be exalted, Lord, and that you would edify us and strengthen our faith in you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got a bunch of text messages last night, and it just happened to be random people. And so I <laughs> kept checking my phone, thinking it was my mom texting me that something happened. And then by like 1 or 2 a.m., I thought, okay, I'm not hearing anything from her. I'm hearing just random texts from other people. And so I, I went back to bed, and then, like I told you, I woke up at around 5 seeing the text, uh, your grandpa's passed. And so um, just weeping there in bed and trying not to wake up Leah, knowing that we have church this morning. And trying to think of something to encourage my mom with as um, I know she's grieving. And so I want to just walk through a couple of psalms today. Uh, Psalm 121 is what I sent her. If you, if you want to turn there or you can just hear me as I read this. Um, some parts of my message I try to change and I'm like, oh, this doesn't really fit anymore. And I'll do my best to see what the Lord has for us today. The title of today's message is God, the refuge and strength of his people. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. For where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. It's a beautiful psalm. Where am I going to look? Sometimes I don't know where to look, Lord. Sometimes in all the struggles of life, where do we look? I'll lift my head up and I'll look to heaven. I'll look to help from the Lord. And I just love throughout this short psalm, it's, it's the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. Verse 7, the Lord will protect you from evil. Verse 8, the Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I mean, where else do we want to look but to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer, the king of the universe, the one who has the whole universe in the palm of his hand. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Where else are we going to look but the sustainer of our soul? 
If you'll turn with me now to Psalm 46. This is where I want to camp out today for our time. Particularly verse 1. But I want to go ahead and read all 11 verses just to set up the context for us. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving or be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. You know, the men, in the men's group, we've been memorizing Scripture, uh, Psalm 34, 1 Corinthians 13, and Titus chapter 2. And when I say we've been memorizing Scripture, I mean Jesse's been memorizing Scripture. I've been trying to keep up with him. I'm still trying. I'm, I'm going through Titus, but he just nailed Titus cha- chapter 2, last men's group, and uh, I'm not giving up yet. I'm, I said uh, I didn't give any verses to memorize this last week because I said I needed some time to catch up on Titus 2, but I'm still trailing behind. Lord, help me. But I think this chapter is going to be the next text that I want us to try to memorize, Psalm 46. And I heard of one pastor, he said early, in his ministry, he was called to do a hospital visit for a patient that was dying, uh, someone in his church. And he said he raced there and he forgot his Bible. And they said, will you share something? G- give us a, a word from the Lord. Give us something. Give us some encouragement. And he said, I went in haste. I was young and my mind went blank. I didn't have any scriptures to share. And so I just said, let's pray. And he said he went home and he knelt down next to his bed and he said, Lord, that... I." He said, Lord, I'm sorry. He said, that, by your grace, that will never happen again. And so he memorized this psalm, Psalm 46, and he said every time he ever got a call to go in a hospital or anywhere, and they said, give a word, he, he always had a word to give. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very pres- a present help in trouble. Now, that doesn't in English, I, I keep wanting to put in time of trouble. A very present help in time of trouble because it just doesn't sound right to me. Um, the word trouble there means distress or tight places or, or being hemmed in or feeling like you have no way out. And so I want to talk about verse 1 primarily today. And I, I love also the context here of verses 2 and 3, the therefore Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Because God is our refuge and strength and our very present help. And I love the those. There's, you count for those. T-H-O-U-G-H in verses 2 and 3. 
Though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. I think he's using some hyperbole here, or the sons of Korah, as this psalm is attributed to. Hyperbole meaning exaggerated language. What's, what's the craziest thing that can happen in our lives? He's saying, if the earth is to change or the earth is to somehow fall off its axle and spin into who knows what in outer space, if, if the, the mountains slip into the heart of the sea and waters roar and foam and there's a massive earthquake and the whole world is flipping out and going into a frenzy and shaking in anxiety because it seems like the whole world is going to end, what does the Christian do? What does the one who puts their faith in God do? Cease striving. Be still. Don't panic. Don't worry. I'm God. I'm for you. I'm in control. I love you. So what do you have to worry about? God's our refuge. He's our strength. And he'll help us. When you read through the Psalms, many of them start off with a plea. They start off like a prayer or begging God. Psalm 12, help, Lord. Psalm 4, answer me when I call, God. Psalm 5, give ear to my words, Lord. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? Psalm 16, preserve me, O God. Psalm 26, vindicate me, O Lord. Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God. That's just a little sampling of these prayers and pleadings with the Lord as these psalms, these songs begin. But what do we see here in this psalm? Starts with just God. He just jumps right into it, and it's it's not a plea necessarily or a prayer, but it's a statement. It's a declaration. It's an announcement. It's a truth to be held on to, to be grasped, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And that's what you need when you're going through difficulty in life. You need God's promises. You need God's truths. You need a rock-solid foundation that you could stake your life upon, and that's what the psalmist is saying here. I told Leland he would be in the message today. I was, I was and I'll get to that in just a second, but I was given this book of illustrations by a missionary couple that spent 20 years in Mexico, one of my hospice patients. Their son is a pastor in McCall. Their other son is a worship pastor in Middleton. And so we have great discussions about the Lord and they gave me this fat book of illustrations. They said, if you need illustrations, my son said to give this to you. And I was reading the preface of it and how Spurgeon said in it, you know, an illustration is good because it can wake the people up that are sleeping and it can get the children in the church's attention and the people that the doctrine and the the, the harder truths of scripture that go over their head, you know, throw in an anecdote, throw in an illustration. And he said, you know, I have my friends in the ministry that say never do that, you know, just stick to doctrine. And so there's some debate there. And even as I put together messages, I wonder, okay, how, I don't just want to talk all illustrations. and all, I want to get into the scripture, but it's good to share stories too. It's good to share things that can help us apply the scripture to our lives. And so Here's one from Leland. He came in yesterday and he looked at me and he said, Daddy, do you know who Taylor Swift is? And I said, no, honey. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, <laughs> you, you were just playing with your friends. Why do you ask? 
And he said, well, that's my friends. Some of them listen to Taylor Swift. And I said, that's not good. <laughs> and he goes, is she good or something along those lines? And it just seems that she's everywhere now. You can't watch a football game without seeing Taylor Swift. And I looked up, I think I typed in Taylor Swift's most famous song. And the song began with I. And then every stanza began with I. I'm, I'm this, and I'm going through this, and this I, 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 I. And I just thought about the Psalms and how you can't get through the Psalms without seeing God all over the Psalms. Try to find a Psalm where it doesn't begin with God or end with God. It's, it's God-centered all throughout, and that's, we need more of that in our lives. We, we need songs about God, who God is, God's glory, God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's love, God's forgiveness for his people, God's provision, all these attributes, God's immutability, God's not changing. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the, though the world is spinning out of control, I've got you. Don't worry. I'm God. We need more God, more of him in our lives. We see a Hebrew word, makase. It means shelter, refuge. That's the word refuge there in, in verse 1. It's used 12 times in the Psalms. It refers to hope, trust, security. God is our security. He's our trust. It's, this word's used in Psalm 62, 7 and 8. On God my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength, my refuge, makase, is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 142, verse 5. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. In the title above Psalm 142, if you see the, most of your Bibles have a title above the Psalms. It'll say a mascal of David or a Psalm of the sons of Korah or of Moses or Solomon. Above Psalm 142, it says a mascal of David when he was in the cave. A prayer to God in the cave. I just thought that was interesting. Here David is. He's on the run. He's living in a cave. No permanent shelter or home and he says God you are my shelter God you are my refuge you're my hiding place you're my dwelling place I look to you you know as I was putting this message together I thought of all the places I've lived in the last 12 years since I've been married and I don't know that I've ever sat down and just thought of each place that I've lived at I just I know we've moved quite a bit and I counted about eight places or so that we, that I've lived Leah's seven because we went separate ways. We didn't get separate. Well, we got separated, but not in that way. I attended a fire academy for three months with my uncle in Riverside. She stayed home with her parents, so um, I think I get to count an extra one in there for that. But we lived in her parents' fifth wheel for a time. We lived with her parents for a time. They were gracious enough to take us in. Lived in an apartment. We lived in a converted um, garage, 400-square-foot garage. That was tight. Um, We've shared a house with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. And then we had two kids and they had two kids. And there was eight of us in this small house and we finally said, okay, time to part ways. And then since then, we've moved three times in the last four years. And so 
Paul and Valerie, who aren't here today. They usually sit over there, so that's why I point over there. Um, they're helping move her mom into an assisted living, I believe. But he told me for years they were moving every two years because of his job. And so I felt like I was preaching to the choir when I brought this up. But he's not here to tell him that, so maybe he'll listen to this. Some of you have probably moved a lot in your lives, and some of you have maybe lived in the same house for 30, 40 years. But wherever we live in this world, ultimately, God is our dwelling place. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You've been our refuge in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We see this word refuge also in Psalm 91, verses 9 and 10. I was going to read just those two verses, but... Okay, maybe... I was going to read the whole psalm, though, because it's so good. I just want to share some psalms with you today. Psalm 91, 16 verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or by the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your sight and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra the young lion and the serpent you will trample down because he has loved me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. I love verse 7. A thousand may fall at your sight and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. God is a protector. He's a refuge. He's our strength. Verses 9 and 10, I looked up the treasury of Scripture. Knowledge, I believe, is what it's called. It's a Charles Spurgeon's commentaries on the Psalms. Charles Spurgeon perhaps wrote the most extensive commentary that exists on the book of Psalms. Many books in recent years have been written of Spurgeon called Spurgeon's sorrows or the sorrows of Spurgeon. It was in 1856 that Spurgeon was preaching to 7,000 people and someone yelled out, fire. And before he could do anything about it, there was no fire. People stormed for the exits. 26 people were in critical or serious condition and seven people died. So here was Spurgeon, devastated, 22 years old, early in the ministry, and he never fully recovered, if you will. He continued to put his faith and trust in the Lord, continued to preach for 35 some odd years. After that, 
But he went through some troubles before that, and I want to read them to you. I couldn't fit it on my paper here, so I have it on my phone. I was looking at it this morning. And in his commentaries on verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 91, I want to share with you what he has to say. He says, before expounding these verses, I cannot refrain from recording a personal incident illustrating their power to soothe the heart when they are applied by the Holy Spirit. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera, and my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, And almost every day I was called to visit the grave. I gave myself up with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick and was sent for from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear. I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafered up up in a shoemaker's window in Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it for it bore in a good, bold handwriting, these words, quote, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality, I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil. I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesmen to place those verses in this window, I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. So here he was visiting the sick, visiting those who were dying. This They didn't have N95 masks back then, and COVID lockdowns, it was, hey, Charles, our brother's dying, and he has this disease, which you can catch. They didn't say that to him, but can you come minister to him? And then the next day, another, and then the next day, another. And so here he's ministering at the bedside of these people, putting his life on the line for the gospel, then going to the f- their funerals and their gravesite. And it was two years after this that that story happened that I already shared with you. So trial upon trial, and yet the Lord gave him these moments of grace like he gives all of us when we go through difficulty in life. And I just thought that was beautiful that these two verses were there. Here was this plague in London, and verse 10 specifically says, No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Specific promise for him during that season in his life. Beautiful. So God is our refuge, Psalm 46, 1, and he is our strength. Oz is the Hebrew word. It's used 44 times in the Psalms. It can be translated strength or power or boldness. 
God is our refuge and God is our strength. What kind of strength are we talking about here? You know, I like to work out. Sometimes I show Leland when he's bored and my kids come to me, I'm bored. And I say, don't ever say you're bored. You have more toys, more things to do, more friends than so many people. But sometimes we'll just be sitting on the couch and I'll show him world's strongest man. And it's just really fun to watch these guys carry boulders around and heavy tires and 700 pounds of this or that and as they're pulling their muscles out and injuring their knees and all of that, I enjoy physical strength. And so as I was putting this together, God is our refuge and our strength. What what kind of strength is he talking about? And I, I typed in on Google, world's heaviest lift. And one of the articles that popped up was a man of the name of Paul Edward Anderson who competed in the Olympics in the 1950s. And he supposedly had the greatest weight ever lifted by a human, 6,270 pounds. It said that he lifted this, a back lift off trestles. I don't know what that means. I tried to look that up. I don't know if they just stack a bunch of weight on top of your back somehow and just see how much you can hold until you fall to the ground. I don't know exactly how that works, but supposedly he was able to hold up more than anyone else. This was in the 1950s, and I wasn't even going to necessarily share this, but on Olympics.com, it tells us that Paul Anderson, at the end of his life, became a devout Christian, a well-known public speaker in support of his faith. He ran Christian boys' homes to share and spread his principles. I thought, wow, that was on Olympics.com. They actually shared that part about his Christian faith and, and spreading it. So I thought that was cool. Now, is this talking about physical strength? God is our refuge and our strength. The word O's is actually used in Judges 9.51 as the strength, talked about the strength of the tower. This tower was mighty there in the land. We also see in Judges 16.28 that Samson cries out, Lord, give me strength. This one last time, Lord, help me to wreak out vengeance upon your adversaries and the Lord gave him strength and he killed more men in his death than he did in his life God brought judgment upon the Philistines but I don't believe it's talking primarily about that kind of strength is it I thought I think it's talking about the kind of strength that we are implored to have in Ephesians 6 10 be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might And it goes on to say, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then it goes on to say after that, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not a fleshly battle that we're going through in life primarily. It's it's a spiritual battle. We need spiritual fortitude, spiritual strength, spiritual resolve, to keep pushing forward in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life. Spiritual fortitude to keep the faith. Spiritual fortitude to stay obedient to the Lord. Spiritual fortitude to keep moving forward when others may retreat, when those in the world freak out. They turn to every sin imaginable. We turn to the Lord and press in to Him. That's what I believe it's getting at. And I want to show you 1 Samuel 30, if you'll turn there with me, just a couple verses where I believe it illustrates the strength that we're to have. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 
if I can find it. Here we go. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. If you underline verses and highlight them, that's one to highlight and underline. But David encouraged himself, some translations say. He found strength in God. Where do people turn when they're in that situation? Verse 6 doesn't say that David was distressed. It says that David was greatly distressed. That word greatly is the same Hebrew word used in Psalm 46.1 where it says that God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Very present. A great help. It's the same Hebrew word. Great distress is what King David, before he was King David here, was going through. So when we're going through great distress, exceedingly great distress, God overcomes that exceedingly great distress with exceedingly great strength and might to overcome it, to encourage us and give us the power that we need. Imagine that situation. He feels like there's no way out. What is he going to do? His own people have turned on him. They want to put him to death. I just love how he turns to God. It's awesome. You know, the last couple years as I've been looking back, been through a lot of trials. Last year we lost Nick. year before that, um, lost my dad, lost my job. At that job for several years, I lost probably five people that were friends, some of them close friends, to drug overdose to unexpected death. Um, And if I go back before that into my 20s, I can share a lot of different things of just trials, being in the back of an ambulance, thinking I'm having a heart attack, and my my grandparents on the other side of my family dying in my early 20s, and I didn't get to say bye to them. And, you know, I can just talk up here for quite a while about the trials that, that I've gone through. And before that, just trials with my dad and my mom and divorce and being on the witness stand and trying to get a restraining order against my dad who's questioning me in front of the judge. And then the judge lets me out of the, um, into the hallway of, and it was just, then my dad went out there too of the courtroom. Judge said, okay, you're too young. For some reason, he's like, you're too young. You need to leave the courtroom. It's this weird thing. And the attorney looked over at me and he was like reprimanding me. I think I was 17. He goes, you need to be 18 to be in the courtroom. 
and everyone was looking at him like, what? So I go out, and then somehow they let my dad out, who were trying to get a restraining order against him, and they let him out into the hallway too. So here's me and my dad right there with no one else. The man that was trying to, who was high on drugs and trying to kill us all, or what we thought might, he might be trying to kill us all not too long before that, and he looks at me and just says, have, have a nice life. That's it. Have a nice life. You took your mom's side. Good job. Have a nice life. That's the last words. I talked to my dad. Said, and so what do we do through the trials of life, of not making sense of things, of wanting closure, wanting reconciliation, wanting everything to turn out the way we want it to, wanting him to turn to the Lord and, and wanting to say goodbye to my grandparents. My grandpa was one of the closest people in my life, outside of my mom. He would pick me up from school every day. He would take me to baseball practice. He'd take me to Carl's Jr., and we'd sit and watch baseball together. And when my dad and mom got divorced, my dad moved in with my grandpa, and I never got to talk to him again. And then he passed away, and my grandma passed away. And so there's a lot of things in my life, just kind of scratching the surface on some of these things, and just never got closure, just wanting closure and things. And then here my grandpa passes away and I, I'm trying to get out there and I, I book the flight for Monday and I'm saying, okay, like I'm, I'm sure he's going to last a couple more days. I just want to say goodbye. You know, I just want to tell him I love him. That's all. And then he passed and it's like, okay, Lord, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand your timing and everything. I don't understand a lot of things in my life. And so I need you, Lord. I need your promises. I need your truth. I know I see through a glass dimly. And he's brought me through the school of adversity. I didn't need to go to seminary, I guess. He said, I'm going to take you to the school of adversity. And in one sense or another, all Christians go through the school of adversity. I could call you all up here and you could all share trials in your life that you've gone through. Some more than others. Some deeper than others. Some more recent than others. But when Jesus said in John 16, 33... In this world, you will have tribulation. He meant it. In this world, I believe the Greek word is thlipsis. In this world, you will be hemmed in. You, you will be persecuted. You, you will have trials. The enemy, he's going to be going full throttle at you. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Death is knocking at the door of everyone around us. The wages of sin is death. We're not in the new heavens and the new earth, even though we can maybe feel like it at times in the comforts of America that where everything's fine. But we are in a fallen world and in this world you will have tribulation. Jesus meant that. But you know what? He also meant the second half of that verse. But be of good cheer. But be encouraged. But be strengthened. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Nikao. I've been victorious. I've conquered the world. I have overcome and when Jesus overcame, we overcome in him. And I, lo I love how he says the world there. Talks about the earth in Psalm 46. The, er the earth has changed. The earth is spinning out of control as if the whole world's falling apart or coming at you. And Jesus says, yeah, I've overcome the world. I've overcome all things. And you overcome all things in me. Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, not some things, all things through Christ who gives me strength. He says, I've lived with little, I've lived with a lot. I've been persecuted, I've been stoned and left for dead. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, 1, 
Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ, Timothy. Not physical strength. Timothy, be strong. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to hate you. People are going to look down on you. This is going to be difficult. Be strong, Timothy. Be encouraged. Be strengthened in the Lord. So here's an encouraging thing. Nothing, nothing can or will happen in your life that will ever change the fact that the tomb is empty, that death has been defeated, that sin has been conquered, that Satan has been triumphed over, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ that he's in control and our future is secure as we remain in him. There's nothing that can happen that will change those facts. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, I'm sorrowful, yet I'm always rejoicing. Man, I'm sorrowful. Man, I go through trials. Man, I go through tribulations. Man, it doesn't make sense, but I'm always rejoicing. I can hold two of them, these two things at the same time. Matthew 5, 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I love in Colossians 2 that Paul's trying to get across to the Colossian church their unity with Jesus. He says, we've been buried with him. We've been raised with him. We've been made alive together with him. We've been forgiven through his cross. We're seated with him. It says in Ephesians, in heavenly places. His victory is our victory. His conquering of Satan, we're there with him. Him seated in heavenly places, we're there with him. We are going to rule and reign with him. His inheritance is our inheritance. So it says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things in him? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Amazing promises. No one can dethrone God. No one can overcome him. No one can render incomplete that which Jesus has completed. It is finished. To tell us die. It's done. Paid in full. We've got to cling to those promises. So here's my question for you today as I get ready to bring this to a close and couple minutes here. Do you have any those in your life? Do you have any those in your life? You're meant to say, what do you mean by that? Well, we talked about in Psalm 46, 2 and 3, there's four those. Though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at swelling pride, those are the those in Psalm 46. Do you have any those in your life? Do you have any struggles? Do you, have you gone through any difficulties in your life? Any adversity? David had a though. Psalm 23, 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, he had a though. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't stay there, though. 
He says, you are with me. Never forget that God is with you. Job had a though. Job 13, 15, this was a significant one. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Talk about fighting the fight of faith. He wasn't giving up. He was on the precipice. He, Lord, I don't understand what's going on here. Though you, you've taken everything from me, boils head to toe, I feel like I'm going to die. Though you slay me, yet I will hope in you. My Redeemer lives. I will see you again one day, Lord. The Apostle Paul had a though. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It doesn't compare. And here's perhaps my favorite set of those in the book of Habakkuk. Here's Habakkuk. He sees wickedness all around him. He sees the righteous flourishing. The wicked are struggling, and he says, Lord, where are you? I don't understand this. You're good. You're pure. How are you allowing this to happen, Lord? Do something about this. Don't you see what's going on here? My friends are struggling, and these wicked people are prospering. I don't get this. And this is what he says after God responds to him in verse 16 of Habakkuk chapter 3. He said, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. God says, don't worry, judgment's coming. I'm sending people in to judge the land. And don't worry, I'm going to judge them too. And don't worry, I work all things out according to my plan, my glory. It's for your good and for my glory. Don't worry, I have this all planned out. So he puts his hand on his mouth like Job does later in Job. And like every true saint does, and they say, Lord, you're in control. I don't understand, but I know you're good, and I know you have a plan and a purpose. And this is how he closes his letter with some of those. Verse 17 through 19 of Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and made me walk on my high places. Respond with those with the yet. Yet I will. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the earth, heart of the sea, though though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Yet I will exult. Yet I will rejoice in him. That is our calling. That is my prayer And I will continue, and my prayer is that you will continue to put your faith and trust in the Lord, for God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble.